This week on Blue 58, we address yet another reason the Minnesota Vikings make life on this planet worse. Plus, we talk a little bit about OTAs and the Packers' latest free agent addition. Then, do you think the Packers should get Aaron Rodgers to change how he plays? Blue 58! Hello and welcome to another episode of Blue 58. I am your host, John Meertink. Excited to be joining you here from very, very rainy northwestern Ohio. It's been absolutely miserable outside all day today, and I'm looking forward to summer actually getting to my part of the country, looking forward to training camp and preseason and getting towards some actual football here. And one of those actual football things started to happen this week. Organized team activities, the first mandatory thing that Packers players have to do this offseason, and I guess it really wasn't mandatory for everybody because 16 veteran players were excused, not including HaHa Clinton Dix, who made his first appearance at uh, OTAs this spring, summer, whatever season it is now. Cleared up his absence saying, uh, for one, you know, I was taking some time to be with my family after the death of my godmother. And two, um, it's not mandatory. I don't have a thing in my contract that says I get workout bonuses anyway, so there really wasn't a whole lot of reason for me to be there. So cleared all that up. That's about all I have to say about organized team activities and anybody really trying to extract any serious kind of information from this stuff, I think is misguided just because none of this resembles actual football. Guys are playing in positions where you know, they're not really doing things that are relevant to the things they actually do for the Packers and, you know, the 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 rest of the things I say about stuff like this each and every year. It's it's not real football. It's not even really what the coaches want to focus on. They're only focusing on less than half of what they would like to do because it really doesn't pay to do things like practice the running game because you can't do any real actual blocking and it's really hard for running backs to practice getting their fits with the where they're supposed to be going and their reads when they can't react to any actual blocks. So it's not actual football, so it's hard to take any sort of actual value out of it. But I think there's one thing that we should talk about related to this, and that is the arrival of new defensive lineman Joey Embu. Uh, There's not much to say about him as a player in particular. Athletically, he's about as limited as an NFL player can be. And, you know, that still makes him quite a bit more athletic than most of us, although in a couple areas, depending on your relative level of physical fitness, you could probably about match him, and specifically probably his his agility and 40-yard dash time. At both the Combine and his Pro Day at Houston, he ran in the mid-40s, or the mid, not the mid-40s, that'd be really slow, the mid-5s in the 40-yard dash. He had really bad agility numbers, Uh, Not even that great on the bench press. Again, for an NFL player, he did 21 reps at 225, which is pretty good for just about anybody. But uh, in the NFL, especially for a defensive lineman, not super great. But I think what he represents as sort of a concept is interesting. He is a guy who is good at exactly one thing. He's a big, strong guy, 6'2", 6'3", 3'13", somewhere around there. And he can hold the point of attack really well. Uh, when he plays as a nose tackle or that sort of inside defensive tackle position. Nobody can move him up front. He's managed to hang around in the NFL since 2015 on practice squads and on various active rosters, pretty much doing just this one thing. Not even rushing the passer, not even really getting off these blocks. He's just good at getting in the offense's way and not letting them move him. And I think there's something to be said for knowing exactly what you can do and what you are as a player and doing just 
that one thing really well. I've often said that lower-level roster guys need at least one unique skill. You can't just be an NFL-level athlete. You've got to be able to do at least one thing that's interesting. Holding the point of attack as a nose tackle is not terribly unique, but done well enough, it kind of becomes a unique thing. If you can build a calling card around being just big and strong and not allowing the opposing offense to move you, that is enough. And Joey Embu shows that it's enough to stick around for going on four years in the NFL as an undrafted free agent, despite the fact that he's not particularly quick, despite the fact that he's not particularly strong for a defensive lineman. He has managed to, through whatever means, make a living out of this. Not a lucrative one for an NFL player, though for most of the rest of us, he'd be doing pretty well. But he's he's sticking around, and I think that's interesting. As to his prospects with the Packers, again, he probably only has to beat one guy to get a roster spot. The, prob- the, guy, the Packers are probably going to keep more guys on the defensive line than they have in recent years just because of the depth they have there. And as a result, there's there's really only one spot probably up for competition. But that's good for Embu because he probably only has to beat out Tyler Lancaster to have a shot at the roster. Whether or not that's a good matchup for him is a, an entirely different question because Lancaster is the exact opposite of Embu in that he's extremely athletic for a guy his size. He has much better size and length than Embu does, but he doesn't have the experience. And that counts for something in a position like defensive line. The larger thing is interesting, though, that this guy has done exactly one thing for the entirety of his NFL career. And now he gets an opportunity to do that one thing again. The thing I wanted to spend the most time on this week is now, I guess, an annual tradition for us, revisiting our predictions. Uh, Going on 10 months ago, we sat down and made some predictions for the 2017 Packers season. And without revealing too much of how things went, the predictions were bad. They did not turn out very well just because of the way the season kind of went. As you know, if you are a regular listener to this podcast and a regular reader of The Power Sweep, I am not one who is super big for predictions. Uh, I think most of the predictions that people want to make are not things that really matter or things that you can really know enough about to really make it an accurate prediction. Even something like the NFL Draft, where there is a limited pool of guys the Packers could pick and a limited amount of ways that the draft could go, anybody who says they can really confidently predict what's going to happen is just full of it. It just is impossible. And so predicting hard and fast things like how a particular team season is going to play out, it's just kind of foolish to me. Um, A bit of... Even if the even in the very measured way that we try to do things, making predictions ends up being just kind of a fool's errand because one thing changed the entirety of the Packers season last year. Aaron Rodgers got hurt, and that changed everything. Not only the Packers win loss record ultimately, but how guys were used, who got opportunities, who didn't contribute at all, 
I mean, I, I was doing some research on uh, Geronimo Allison for a different piece that I'm working on, and he went almost a solid month and a half without even being targeted once. Surely he had to have been open one time in a month. But no, with Brett Hundley at quarterback, he didn't get a single pass his way. It just didn't work. The Packers' offense didn't work at all. That's just one example, but there are many others of of how things worked out like that. I mean, how could we really have predicted how a guy like Justin McCray's season would go on or would, would, would play out? Or even Lane Taylor. I mean, we had a pretty good idea what he was going to do, but he ended up playing a game at left tackle and was really kind of the Packers for a long time, primary problem solver. And a lot of their offensive line spots, really the entire left side of the line was Lane Taylor for a while. If the Packers couldn't have counted on him, what would they have done there when David Bakhtiari was out early in the season? So all that to say, predictions are hard and often stupid, and we got most of ours wrong last year because of what happened in Minnesota. But let's look at these and take a look at our thought process and see if we can figure out where we went wrong where we went right, and what it could mean for the Packers uh, going forward. So um, to recap uh, where we started with our predictions last year, I laid out a couple things uh, saying what I didn't want to do, first and foremost, was that w- was to make predictions about how the team was going to play uh, right away at the start of the season because it's really kind of silly to do that. Uh, you don't know a lot about the team at the start of the season. We don't know a lot about other teams at the start of the season didn't want to make a lot of predictions about how specific players were going to do statistically, so there is only one prediction like that. So here are our five predictions from last year, one by one. Let's take a look at each of them. Prediction number one, this is going to sound real bad knowing how the, the season played out, but I predicted the Packers would go 11-5 and five or better this year, meaning 2017, and win the NFC North. The thinking was that 10 wins is a pretty good season and should get you to the postseason. The Packers seemed to have a pretty tough schedule early, but things got better and easier as the year went on. I even said if the Packers got to week four at two and two, they were probably in pretty good shape. And I think provided they stayed healthy, the Packers were going to have a pretty strong finish, acknowledging that once you got to the playoffs, anything could happen. Well, wouldn't you know it, that turned out to be pretty much completely incorrect, save for that caveat that if the Packers stayed healthy, we were looking at a very strong finish. Now, I think we got to look at this for a second, though, at where the Packers were at the start of last season. Uh, The Packers came out and beat the Seattle Seahawks to start the 2017 season. Always very fun to do. Uh, They traveled to Atlanta and got handled pretty thoroughly. Then they needed some late heroics to beat the Bengals. Then they handled the Bears pretty well. And then they beat the Cowboys in pretty thrilling fashion to end up at 4-1 and one through their first five games. And I think you saw some of those struggles early on due to injury and the Packers having a pretty tough schedule. Uh, the Seahawks were down last year, but they were still pretty formidable. The Falcons were, were great, uh, at, at least at the start of the season. The Bengals are always you know, hard to predict. They can be world beaters one week and, you know, bums the week after that. It seems like they've been that way for about a decade now. But, you know, that game could have gone either way. 
But the Packers were also dealing with a lot of injuries and just uncertainty and starting a little bit slow at the at the beginning of the season. But they were starting to get healthier by the time they beat the Cowboys and it looked like they were really about ready to start rolling. And had Aaron Rodgers not gotten injured, I'd say there's a good chance they beat the Vikings because it was great in that game. They probably beat the Saints because the Saints were really bad that week. The Lions relied on a lot of bad stuff from Brett Hundley. The Packers beat the Bears in week uh, in their their tenth or in week ten, not their tenth game. Uh, they probably would have beaten the Ravens, who were terrible. They just got a bunch of stuff gift wrapped by Hundley, and then who knows what happens with the Steelers? That's probably the best game the Packers played without Aaron Rodgers, and it was still pretty close, even though the Steelers won in the end. I, does Aaron Rodgers make a difference in that game? I don't know. If that, if there's one game where it's not clear if Rodgers would have made a difference, it's probably that one because the Packers played just so well. So I'm saying that there's a good chance the Packers would have been at least 11-5, and five, in good position to be 11-5, and five, and with a fighting chance at winning the NFC North had it not been for Aaron Rodgers. But that's not how predictions work. Aaron Rodgers got hurt, the Packers went 7-9, and nine, and here we are. The second prediction was my only one related to actual stats. And I predicted last year that Ty Montgomery would not rush for more than 800 yards this season. In hindsight, that seems ridiculously high to put that bar. But you could have gone much, much lower, probably could have said 600 yards, and I still would have been pretty confident in that. I think we were riding the, the Montgomery train a little hard at this point last season. Um, he's an exciting, interesting player. He can do a lot of good things. Uh, he's certainly a phenomenal athlete, and by all accounts, seems like a pretty great guy too. But about this point last year had to have been about peak Montgomery stock. You would have wanted to sell your Ty Montgomery stock in June of 2017 because all of the reports from the offseason had been good. Uh, he's looking like he's in great shape. He's going to be the starting running back. He's going to do all these things with catching passes and stuff like that. I was excited. But I wasn't as excited about everybody uh, about his performance as everybody else was, and I predicted that he wouldn't hit 800 yards. I argued that his best, truest value was as a matchup creator. Uh, he's going to have a bigger role moving around on opportunities for other people. There was a lot of backs that the Packers had to take up carries, and 800 yards would have been 50 per game. That's a lot of, of yardage for a guy who had never played running back uh, for a full season before. Even, you know, that considered that he hadn't been a running back for a full season and had had success the previous season, he still got over 50 yards just three times in the 13 games that he really played running back consistently. And he is known to be a little bit susceptible to injury. So I felt pretty comfortable saying that he wouldn't hit 800 yards, and as it turned out, he didn't. This one is ugly. Prediction number three, the Packers will improve their rank in takeaways, over the 2016 season, but decline in sacks. Uh, in 2016, the Packers finished the season ranked ranked 12th in takeaways and 7th in sacks. In 2017, the Packers finished da, 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 13th in takeaways and 19th in sacks. So, wrong on both counts. Well, no, actually, right on one of those counts, the Packers definitely declined in sacks. Uh, they were in 7th in sacks in 2016, down to 19th, but they did not get more takeaways. I was not sold on the pass rush. I think you can pretty much copy and paste everything I said about the 
pass rush last season leading into last year and bring it forward a year because the Packers haven't added anybody of significance to their pass rush. And boy, uh, I, I can't for the life of me understand why. So uh, I don't, other than hoping that Mike Pettin can produce some pass rush magic, I don't know if we have a lot of reasons to hope for anything other than just uh, regression to the mean, uh, just improving by virtue of not being worse than last year. Uh, maybe getting better better in the secondary will help them get more sacks, but if if you want to pencil this in for an early prediction for this year, I don't think the Packers, Packers are going to be like top 10 again in sacks, but who knows? A little bit early for that. I'll wait to make a fool of myself in predictions later on. I guess more broadly, I'm sure why I thought the Packers would be would do better in takeaways. Maybe again, just thinking that you know they can't do worse uh, by a lot than they didn't. But what's really the reason that they were going to do better? Um, the fourth prediction: the Packers would not see a rookie start more than six games in 2017. Here was my reasoning. It wasn't a good year for rookies to make a big splash. I wrote at the time in my notes, which could actually be a good thing. If you're making a push for a Super Bowl, which the Packers were, I think you'd rather have your rookies play support roles than make big contributions. And it was Kevin King or one of the running backs uh, that probably had the best chance to surpass six starts, but somebody's going to need to do some work to get to that point. Well, even then, I guess partially right, because... It was one of the running backs that passed six starts. Jamal Williams had seven starts, but the Packers also had another rookie start more than six games, and that was Josh Jones, who also started seven games for the Packers last year. And I think this is a result of kind of just how the season went. Uh, Ty Montgomery got hurt. Otherwise, he would have been probably the starter in name, at least for most of the season. Aaron Jones also got hurt. He would have been the starter after that Dallas game uh, for most of the rest of the season, I have to imagine. And Jamal Williams, I guess, did enough to justify him being the number one back through the middle portion of the season, late portion of the season there. So uh, with with Aaron Rodgers out, they kind of have to turn to the rookies, and you just end up playing rookies more once your season kind of becomes lost. So a couple of these guys ended up playing more. Looking back, I don't I think it was fine that Williams started as many games as he did, but I think in an ideal world, he wouldn't have had Josh Jones start seven games for the Packers. Probably wasn't really what they were hoping for. I'm still not sure what to think about his 2017 season. Uh, I don't think it was as much of a loss as some people make it out to be. But other than that Cincinnati game, it kind of feels like he didn't have any impact at all. Um, He had that interception against Cleveland, but that was basically a punt. Deshaun Kaiser threw that ball up for for anybody as he was getting crushed by Clay Matthews. And Josh Jones just happened to be the guy who came down with it. And all the credit to him, you you know, of course, for doing that. But I have a, a hard time, you know, getting too excited about that play. What else really did he do? Um, We were probably more excited than we needed to be about the Nitro package or about, you know, getting on board with a hybrid safety linebacker type thing. But on the other hand, he could have been held back. He probably was held back to an extent by Dom Capers and the Capers defense as a whole just being a little bit outdated. So I don't know what to think about Josh Jones and what he did last year. 
but I, I think he remains a very, very good athlete. And it'll be exciting to see what they do with him this year. I just don't think uh, the, the really the goal was to have him start more than, more than six games last year. Prediction number five. Not, not so much a prediction as much of a statement, as much as a statement, but uh, I said last year that the 2017 season was Super Bowl or bust. Flat out wrote and said at the time, this is all in episode number 46 of Blue 58, by the way, if you want to go back and listen, uh, that the Packers had to win the Super Bowl in 2017 or that year was a failure. I think even with the holes that they had on defense, you could safely have considered them among the best in the league. On offense, they were very, very solid. Uh, You have to remember, nobody really predicted Martellus Bennett turning out the way that he did. On paper, he was a great and seemed like he would help the Packers elevate their tight end season, or tight end group, last season. Um, But I think this absolutely, uh, the events of this offseason showed absolutely that last season was a bust. Ted Thompson didn't get fired, but he got moved out of his position the Packers have reorganized their entire power structure. Um, they've revamped their scouting group. They've got a new general manager. Mike McCarthy has a new defensive coordinator. And he's he's pretty much, you know, in a do-or-die situation here as well. I don't know how you could view those results as being anything other than the consequences of a bust of a season. That's what happened for the Packers when their season kind of blew up. And all of this, of course, is a result of what happened in Minnesota with Anthony Barr breaking Aaron Rodgers' collarbone. And who knows how these predictions could have looked without that happening. I feel pretty confident, you know, the Packers would have gone at least 11-5. and But given what we saw from the defense throughout most of the season. I, I don't know if I feel super confident that they would have been a Super Bowl caliber team. You make the playoffs, anything can happen, though. And who knows? Maybe Aaron Rodgers goes absolutely bananas and uh, wills the Packers through three or four games and, and they win a Super Bowl. Who knows? Um, the Philadelphia Eagles probably would have had something to say about that because they were a pretty great team and seems like the sort of team that probably would have given the Packers a lot of... Uh, a lot of trouble, but who knows? Um, all we can do is is look back and wonder, and it's going to be one of those one of those questions that we always wonder about as Packers fans. Uh, that's just kind of the way things work <laughs> when you're a sports fan. While I've got you here, I wanted to take a couple minutes and answer some questions. Uh, looking through the Power Sweep email the other day, I happened to notice that there were a couple questions that I hadn't actually taken the time to answer. And I do appreciate everybody who takes some time to reach out uh, and and offer us their thoughts or questions at thepowersweep1959 at gmail.com. But sometimes um, those questions get a little bit lost in the shuffle. So I wanted to take a second and answer some questions or give some thoughts on some stuff that people have sent in. Starting with uh, Mr. Chris Carnell of North Yorkshire, England. Uh, Chris, First, I want to say that I looked up uh, what it looks like in your part of the world. It looks like you live in a pretty beautiful place. Uh, so I would love to visit sometime. That would be pretty awesome. Uh, but he asks, uh, in parts, 
Uh, I've heard and read some thoughts about how Aaron Rodgers' style of play might change following the injury last season, but I haven't seen anything specifically about his physical recovery. I wonder, is there a level of concern about this? It seems in retrospect that he was clearly limited in his brief return. Is it fair to assume that all will be well? It was, after all, a significant injury to his throwing shoulder. So a couple different things to unpack there. Um, First, I think absolutely he was very limited in his brief return. Um, There was one particular play that sticks out in my mind where Jordy Nelson uh, ran a, a, a seam route from the slot and looked clearly to be open behind the safeties and Rodgers saw him and tried to get him the ball and just couldn't put enough on it. And I don't know if that was a result of issues from the surgery or his injury or just having not thrown regularly for two months. Hard, But I think now at this point there are little if any concerns about his recovery. Uh, Collarbone injuries are more frustrating than I think career-threatening unless they happen to be particularly bad. Uh, But I don't think this is one that is really going to limit what he is as a player, at least in terms of throwing the ball. Uh, There have been guys who have had worse collarbone injuries that I know of, though not quarterbacks who have gone on to have productive NFL careers. Danny Amendola, back when he played for the um, St. Louis Rams, had a particularly scary one that is pretty much only ever seen in car accidents. Uh, What happened was if you feel your collarbone, you you can feel that it kind of attaches to your body at two different points, one out by your shoulder and one in by your sternum. And what happened was he somebody landed on top of him and that inside attachment, the one near his sternum, kind of detached and his collarbone kind of jammed inside towards where his chest cavity is. And in, in a car accident, that can kill you because it goes right into your heart. Uh, Danny Amendola has since gone on to play several more successful seasons. So he, he if he can recover from that, I feel pretty confident that Aaron Rodgers can recover from from a break. Often in these situations, you can you can come back sh- with a stronger bone um, near the break. So I've been told. I've never broken a bone like that. The only break I've ever had uh, was when my cousin and I were playing pickup basketball at a gym one day, and I was on one side of the gym doing my own thing, and then he threw a ball at me and said, hey, John, and I turned and looked at him, and the ball hit me in the face. And that was not, not very fun. That was the only broken bone I've ever had. And... Uh, uh, I, I guess I recovered just fine, went on to have a fine NFL career, as, in, as everybody knows. But um, I don't think Aaron Rodgers is going to be limited by this injury. The bigger question, though, I think it's kind of implied a little bit and maybe then out and out asked by Chris, is whether or not he is going to change his style of play. A couple different things on that. I don't think he is going to change how he plays in terms of of you know scrambling and getting out of the pocket and things like that because that would just be a big departure for him so I don't think he is going to do that and I don't think the Packers are going to ask him to do that but I would love to see Aaron Rodgers make more plays from the pocket just step back make a read and get the ball out too often it seems like he is looking to break outside the pocket more than just running the play as it's called And I think that can be a little bit frustrating. And I think that does work to his detriment sometimes because he does pass up open options that may set up the Packers for future big plays as he searches for just big plays in the present. Now, it's hard to criticize 
that style of play just based on his results, but it is a little bit frustrating to watch sometimes. I wish he would do that more. I don't think that's going to happen. And I don't think that he is going to have to change his style of play because of this injury or would the Packers want him to. So that is a very long way of answering that question, Chris, but those are my thoughts and I thank you for asking that. Second question slash topic comes from Andy Andy Monday uh, writing in via email. He's got a solution that I think is, is very, very interesting uh, to the ongoing, I guess, conversation or questions about the Packers over, or not the Packers, the NFL's overtime rules. So the pack, the NFL have has, has tinkler, tinkler, tinkered around with these rules for a while, um, and I think everybody's pretty familiar with the, how things currently operate. But the former sudden death system was criticized. You know, it could end the game without one team touching the ball. Well, Andy's solution to that, uh, he sent me actually a, a pretty well written article here. Um, I won't read the whole thing to you because it's it's a couple hundred words, but uh, the the gist of it is this. Uh, I will read you Andy's paragraph. Here's the solution in its plainest form. Reward the first defense, the team on defense first, with one point and the victory if it stops the opposing offense's first possession. Reward the offense with the victory if it scores a touchdown on its first possession, as the current rules state. If the first offense scores a field goal, the opposing teams often takes the field for their chance at a touchdown and the victory. I think that is an interesting way of doing things. Um, I think it's definitely something, I don't know if it's something the NFL should consider. I think that is one solution to kind of keeping a semi-sudden death sort of thing while in, in encouraging aggressive play. Um, I don't know if this is a, a be-all, end-all solution for the NFL because I, there are things that can happen on offense that where it may not be always advantageous to go all out and, and try to score um, on your first possession. Say you get pinned really deep in your your own end. There's something that goes horribly wrong when you're receiving the kickoff and suddenly you're looking at first and 10 from your own three-yard line on your first possession of overtime. Should they really have to go all out to try to score on their first possession just because they they had the the misfortune of mishandling the ball. What I do like about this idea is that it it puts the pressure on the offense to do something. Um, And it it gives the defense a little bit of a boost as well um, in that they won't lose the game just by giving up a, a field goal. Because guys can hit consistently from 55 plus now. It hardly seems fair to... To punish a defense for preventing a, a team from getting inside, what would that be? The 38 yard line? And you still, I don't know. Uh, overtime is kind of silly and dumb, and I kind of wish that they would just play an entire quarter or something like that rather than some form of sudden death. But I don't know if there's ever going to be a perfect solution. It it seems like a no win situation no matter what the, the NFL tries to do. Hard to say. But I do like the creative thinking and solutions and things like that. And I love talking about everything like that is is weird. The weirder, the better. So uh, thanks, Andy, for writing in for that. And uh, I will make sure that I, I don't miss anybody's emails in the future. Finally, uh, Cashin writes in uh, via Twitter uh, asking whether we have watched this season's uh, 
run of All or Nothing, the Amazon TV show? Um, if so, has it changed your opinion of Des Bryant? I have actually not watched the Dallas Cowboys All or Nothing. I've watched about half of the equivalent version of um, the University of Michigan's football season thing, which was just just okay. Jim Harbaugh seems like he would be interesting to play for. But uh, I've done a little bit of research on All or Nothing, just kind of trying to see if there was some big revelation about Des Bryant in this show that I that I was not aware of. Based on what I've read, um, I don't think this would have changed my opinion on Des Bryant. To recap, I think it would be a defensible move for the Packers to sign him. I think he would be a a decent enough addition to the team. And I've said before that I think the the issues about him with his perceived off-the-field stuff is is a little bit overblown. I don't think this would have changed my opinion on Bryant because I think that the book on Bryant is pretty well known. Uh, he's a bit of a hothead. Um, he is a little bit of a, a head case, uh, a little bit out of control sometimes. And from what it looks like, this season of All or Nothing kind of showed that's pretty much how Des Bryant is pretty much all the time, not just on the sidelines or, or on the field, uh, but that's pretty much um, I appreciate the consistency, if nothing else. Uh, guys like that, you know, are, are hard to be around. But I would caution on the idea of, and, and Cashin doesn't apply this in his question, but guys as, as locker room cancers, um, we've talked about this a, a few weeks ago, um, guys who are, are hotheads or unpredictable or stuff like that are not locker room cancers. Guys who are, are, are dumb or immature are not locker room cancers. Uh, guys who are racist and bullies like uh, Richie Incognito are, are locker room cancers. Um, and those are the guys you need to keep away from your football team, not guys who are, are you know, jerks or immature or stuff like that. So um, I guess long, long question short, uh, no, this probably wouldn't have changed my opinion about Des Bryant. I still don't think it's super likely the Packers will sign him. I think there is a case to be made for signing him, and that's, that is probably not going to change a whole lot. Uh, and all of it, again, is kind of moot because I, I don't think they're they're going to bring him in. Thank you for asking all of those questions, and we do always appreciate you asking questions in whatever form they come. That is all I have for you this week. Uh, I appreciate you reaching out, and if you would like to do that, you may always do so uh, via a variety of ways. Uh, first and foremost, at thepowersweep.com, or on Facebook or on Twitter. Search The Power Sweep on either of those sites, or, as we have found, via email, thepowersweep1959 at gmail.com. If you'd like to support us, uh, easiest way to do so is leaving a review on iTunes, uh, if you would like. It helps more people find the show, but financial support is also appreciated as well. The easiest way to do that is at uh, patreon.com slash thepowersweep. Throw us a buck a month and helps us keep this operation running. Uh, if you want to support us and look good while doing it, buy us a shirt, buy yourself a shirt from us uh, on Teespring uh, via the store link at thepowersweep.com. We do love to hear from you. Uh, any feedback you give us helps us make this entire operation better and helps all of us become smarter Packers fans. And as I always say, smarter Packers fans are better Packers fans, and better Packers fans are what we all want to be. I am John Mudink. We will see you on Blue 58.